and welcome to ChurchCast. This is Sean Cananese, one of your hosts from Berkeley, California. I'm also joined today by... Wait a minute, who goes next? You just went next. You don't have like an order set up? Well, we we did, but then Ricky left to Roanoke, and then, uh, you know, I basically was two hosts, so then I went. Then Ricky showed up for one podcast, and then... You know, I went first then, but I didn't know what the, the order was. Jose, introduce yourself. And Jose Boveda, level one, Sacramento, California. Still? Yeah, still. I know. All right. Well, I'm Ricky Hayashi, level three from Roanoke, Virginia. And we have and a special guest with us today. Who already spoke up, but... Oh, I just assume everything I say is going to get edited out. My name is CJ Schrader. I'm a level two judge from Atlanta, Georgia, technically Smyrna, Georgia. Let me give you a quick rundown of what this show is, and we'll get back to how awesome CJ is. So um, this show is a podcast about magic judging. That is Magic the Gathering, hopefully because you got to us from some sort of Magic the Gathering-related website. You have some concept of what that game is. Um, if you don't, learn it. It's fun. We love it. We're here to talk about magic judging. We're here to talk about tournament organizing. We're also here to talk about rules interactions, listener questions, news, and interesting things that happen in the world of magic and magic judging. So mm. with that, CJ. Yes. Tell us how awesome it is to live in Smirnoff or Smirnoff? Smyrna. SMY yeah. till I die. That's what the locals say. <laughs> I have not heard that one. I went to college in Savannah, Georgia, so... Well, that's nowhere near Smyrna. I know that. All right. But one time, there was a hurricane evacuation, and we had to uh, evacuate to inland Georgia. Is that what we you made it, it as far as Macon before, uh, you know... Oh, Macon's not even close to Smyrna. Then I have no hey. idea where you are. Why don't you tell us? Wow, Just keep you're... going north. Anyway, I'm about 20 minutes outside of Atlanta, living in Smyrna for... Magic related things is, is really great because, uh, all the major tournaments, they're generally in Atlanta unless Star City Games comes to town. They go 40 minutes outside of Atlanta for whatever reason. But it's, it's so easy to get to any of the stores, the big stores around here and everything like that. So Smyrna is a good area for judging. Yeah. So we've, we've talked oh, about CJ in the past. Indeed. We know you're a level two judge there. Um, mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about the people you've certified, um, if you have, and also um, tell us a little bit about what you do as a level two judge for your region. Yep. Shortly after uh, certifying, I would I tried to round up as many level zeros as I could, just anyone who at least claimed to be interested in judging. And um, and usually I would do this by, if, say I was working at GPT, I would just make an announcement. I would just say, Anyone here interested in judging? And usually you'll get one or two bites, and you know they don't always uh, stick through with it. But you get a few people get their foot in the door. Uh, I've also picked up a few other candidates. One of them through JudgeCast, and uh, he is my only cert certifier. certifier. No, you're the certifier. I'm the. He's the only person I've certified so far. So uh, he, Nick, whatever it's Nick Zittimer. He did very well. Very awesome study. Uh, of course. Someone listening to JudgeCast as a level zero, I think they're always going to do well. Well, I said a ringing endorsement. Uh, 
Ricky, I think if you remember, and Jose, you might also remember, I think we owe Nick some packs from some terrible set in the past. I I believe he won the uh, Win Ricky's Packs tournament or contest you guys are having. I think it was to make up a candy bar. Oh, oh that yeah. was him. <laughs> oh, dear. Consider me the uh, Judge Cast historian. Yes, I like consider so, myself. All right, yeah. sold. You are the Judge Cast historian. Good. Finally. I didn't even know there was an opening, but I'm yeah. glad we got that taken care of. <laughs> <laughs> so the question then becomes, um, how do we get Nick his packs? Because, damn it, he, he he's earned them a long time ago, and now that he's certified, I mean, we got to get him something, right? Well, perhaps I, uh, I can meet up with him at a tournament. Okay. We'll find he'll, something good for him. He'll most likely be at the uh, Star City Games Atlanta that's coming up. Oh, there's oh. a Star City Games Atlanta event. CJ, yep. tell us more. Star City Games Atlanta is coming September 10th and 11th. Uh, but who cares about that? That's not about me. On September 9th, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be running a uh, or helping run a judge conference here in Atlanta. It'll be at the hotel that's right next to the conference center where Star City Games Atlanta is. Um, there's tons of information about it on on DCI Family. I'm, I'm sure we can put that in the show notes. So far, I got I got a few seminar presenters lined up. But let me go over the presenters real quick. We got Jared Silva, uh, you know, the regional coordinator for the Southeast. We Never heard of him. No. <laughs> Never heard of that guy either. You live like. You work next to Jared. Um, we have Ben McDowell, a level two from Florida, and also kind of my uh, seminar planning buddy. Oh. He's kind of been my guide throughout this. We have Sam Strauss from North Carolina and Jason Flatford from Tennessee. Oh, Jason, hold on a second here. Um, a while back, Ricky, you remember when we were talking about the Commander decks, you were talking mm-hmm. about how it was Ricky, how it should have been Ricky of the Two Reflections in the Mirror Mastery deck. Should well, have been. Jason took your face and put it on that card and then made it into one big picture and put it on our Facebook page. So if you search for JudgeCast on Facebook um, and you'll look in our photos, there's a tag of you, Ricky, and also your evil twin um, in that picture uh, given to us by Mr. Flatford. Don't you mean his good twin? Um, well, <laughs> R- Ricky's orientation as far as good, neutral, or evil, I will leave for him to define. I just assume people are good, unless I'd know otherwise. So maybe I should actually know that Ricky is not, but... I am evil and more evil. <laughs> <laughs> Eviler twin. Although, if you tag evil Ricky Hayashi on Facebook, it doesn't show up with the normal tag, like, oh, pick this person from a like a little drop-down or anything, so... We couldn't do that, oh. but um, yeah, it's in the works. So Jason put that photo up there. So thanks, CJ, for mentioning him and giving us an entree to give him some props. But you have more people presenting, yes? No, I don't. Oh, but <laughs> oops, that's part of my hope for this uh, judge cast. If anyone out there is interested in presenting at Star um, at the Star City Games Atlanta Judge Conference. Uh, just send me an email. It's cjschrader at gmail.com. Um, I'm sure we'll have contact information in the show notes as well, but I'm still looking for a few more presenters. I, I should also say what a judge conference is. Yeah. Uh, 
it's basically just going to be a, uh, a day of, um, we'll have these seminars for judges who want to learn or even people hoping to be judges. You don't have to be a judge to attend. We'll have the seminars to help people kind of either refresh their memory or, or learn how to become a judge. Even if you've never judged, you can come on out. Uh, you just have to sign up for it on DCI Family. If you don't already have a DCI Family account, go ahead and sign up for one. And I, I'm not sure who's in charge of it anymore, but I know somebody will approve your account eventually, and then you'll be able to follow this link and sign right up for it. Uh, beyond that, we expect to have, um, you know, just a lot of hanging out with judges, uh, playing, playing games, EDH most, or excuse me, Commander mostly. There's going to be some pizza provided for dinner by Star City Games and a, and a free draft afterwards. So That's Star City sweet. Games, yeah, Star wow. City Games really taking care of us. Just I didn't even know that part. Are epic. Yeah. Yeah. I'm you really looking forward to it. Ricky, do you know what you'll be presenting? I, I believe last I talked to you, you said it would be judge classes. No, no, no. I said it would be on reviews. Reviews? Oh, I'm way off. By that point in time, I should be close to overtaking Eric Shukan as the number one review writer in the DCI. Ricky's like Ooh. a review demon. Yeah, I guess I should mention that uh, certified judges at the judge conference will be receiving uh, a certain amount of judge foils. I don't know how many or anything like that. But I know they do receive some, so kind of help you uh, get out here. And as just a thank you for coming out here and, and improving as a judge. Perhaps even more of the dark confidants. Did you guys all get those? Yes, I did. Yes, yes. That was that was a welcome surprise, um, especially as my envelope was not damaged in any way. Let me tell you, the, the getting one of those in the mail was a, a shock. And I was very elated because uh, that, I believe, is like my first judge foil. Yep. Mm -hmm. Well, now, you got something when you were certified, too. Oh, yes. But that's that's the first one that, let me let me rephrase, that's the first one that Wizards of the Coast has graced me with. Aha. <laughs> uh -huh. Gotcha. So this was something they announced, what, two or three months ago on Judge List, saying that a special mailing was going to go out to every judge in the world. Yes. And this week we all received them in the mail. It was a new Judge Foil Dark Confidant. With the old border. With the old card frame, yeah, with a kind of bubbly, bubbly muck card frame for a black card. And the, the new DCI logo, or what, what is it? Magic Judge logo? No, it's no, a DCI logo. Just DCI. Okay. Yeah. But it's in the art, which is sort of awkward. And yes. every every judge in the world got one of these. Yes. Well, every judge in the world who had their address on file, I guess, something like this. I'm sure a lot of judges out there are going to hold on to these because they, like Jose said, it might be the only judge foil that they are able to get. Because mm -hmm. otherwise, you have to go to a pro tour or a grand prix or a judge conference, and those or, or nationals. Or nationals. So nationals is probably the best chance, but there's still a lot of level ones out there who only work at the store level and don't really come into contact with those kinds of events. Yep. Well, now, it's also worth mentioning, I think in the future, Wizards is going to come out with a program that they would call the Judge Rewards Program, 
I know Andy's alluded to it a few times. Andy Hecht, the judge program manager, has mentioned it, but he hasn't really defined what it is and what it will be and what we'll have in it. But my expectation is that there will be other ways for level ones, uh, more local level twos, to get a hold of Judge Foils than just sort of waiting for a serendipitous envelope to show up in their inbox. Mm-hmm. I believe they even and- hinted at, at a sort of a achievement system, which... I'm all for it. I, I always go for all the achievements on Xbox for no reason at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not what we want you to be do, doing, doing judging. Or... No, I'm I'm going to grind out PTQs just so I can get my level three, you know, grinded a PTQ badge <laughs> <laughs> on a website somewhere. As soon as I get the judge reward program and badges uh, underway, Ricky is going to be the one to get the judgmental judge. I think if there's like if there's a badge for reviews, maybe they can just put my face on it or something. <laughs> How about that? You just want your face on another photoshopped picture on our Facebook page, don't you? No. Like we have like like <laughs> if people didn't know any better, they would think like this is all about getting Ricky's face on something interesting. Like we have your face contacting one of those Hulk smash fists. We have your face. That's on my a Pokemon actual face, card. though. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't photoshopped. We have your face on a Pokemon card, um, doing running errands, I think. And then also we have your face on another Magic card. Like it's weird that you haven't been on all of our episodes, but somehow you're the face of the show. I see what you did there. Let's actually uh, bring this back in and and face toward <laughs> our next. Well, you guys you said know face. what? <laughs> One thing I. I really like about the new level two redefinition mm-hmm. is that they have a small push on writing reviews. Wow. I, yes. that's a, hey, it's CJ true, and totally I psyched us back on the track. We wanted to talk a bit about the redefinitions or rather the exposition of the redefinition of what it means to be a judge at various levels. Um, the judge wiki, also known as the DCI family wiki, um, we'll put a link up to it here, has a really simple definition for each of the five levels of judge. Um, so there are, for those of you who didn't know, there are five levels of judge. Uh, they go from local, area, regional, international, and then professional. Um, and each level sort of has what we expect of people in that role. Um, and so this has just recently been published so that Basically, we have a better understanding of what a level one does, what a level two does, um, and really some of the biggest changes are in the level three definition where we actually talk about, you know, prerequisites for testing, all sorts of things like that. Um, the testing process, which until now had been somewhat nebulous, um, that, that's really useful for, you know, folks like me that are gunning for level three at some point in the future. Um, and of course, near future. We'll see. Um, and then also for level four and level five, it really brings to light sort of, well, what do these people do? Because if you're just a player or just a level one judge, you really don't have an opportunity to interact with level four and level five judges very often. And you might hear that they exist somewhere and they do cool things, but you don't really know. And this um, document really helps us understand what it is that these higher level judges do. Um, I should also mention there's also a level E 
uh, above level five. That's just Judge Emeritus. Um, so there are a few people that have sort of um, transcended um, and are no longer actual judges, but they still sort of oversee in in interesting ways. Do you want to talk a little bit more about what the level judges and what the levels? You want to well, talk about? I re- I remember when uh, they redid the level one definitions. We had a spirited discussion about what they meant to me as the uh, level one uh, representative, as the uh, current noob. Um, so with uh, level two redefinitions, uh, shouldn't uh, you uh, respond, you guys, since we have an extra level two here? You know, I, I uh, since I went through the uh, level two exam fairly recently, I guess I kind of remember it pretty well. And uh, truthfully, this doesn't feel so much like a change as kind of just like a, a, a cleaning up uh, of the level two requirements. It's just more. Yes, I agree. Written down. Um, but a lot of it is the exact same. Uh, a lot of the, uh, I'll just, I'll just read through the requirements here real quick. The pretest requirements are that you have to have written at least one review. You have to have judged at least one comp competitive or REL event with another judge. Uh, and you must have acted as head judge at at least one event with another judge and those two could be the same event and then beyond that you just have to it's the pretty standard stuff you just have to pass the rules exam the exam did not change at all it says here you have to show knowledge of requirements for testing a new judge but i think anybody who has certified should at least have a feel for how to test someone because you've already taken the test uh you have to show a willingness to mentor and certify other judges but and let's see here and then beyond that, it's just so, you know, show some diplomacy with players and judges and TOs and just being willing to participate in the judge community. I mean, I think that's a fine definition for, um, for level two. And I don't think that's very different than how it was before. I don't think we used to have a, a requirement that you had to write a review, but I think that's a great requirement to add on there. Yeah. It, most L3s, when talking to L2 candidates, will look at their reviews. Mm-hmm. The review history, and if they have written no reviews, will kind of you know raise an eyebrow and go, "Why haven't you written any reviews?" Yeah, I've um, <clears throat> at least doubled my reviews since certifying and since talking with you, Ricky. Which all that meant was I went from like four or five to ten, but still, I'm working on it. There's a few re- things that you don't have to know to be a candidate for level two, and there's one that I, I just enjoy. I think it's kind of funny. Um, but I'll go ahead and read all of them. You don't have to know how to conduct a, uh, an exam. You don't have to, have to know how to create one or do a DQ. Uh, you don't have to head judged any qualifier events, and you um, don't have to know how to work on a team in a professional event. I mean, basically, the idea here is the same as level one. You know, you're going to have varying levels of of competence at um, in level two. You know, a brand new level two is just not as good as a, a level two who's been out there doing it for a year. Uh, and I think that's it's just kind of the same theory here. But they also have one where a level two candidate is not required to know how to fill out a penalty slip, a penalty and a result slip. Yeah, I, that, that's been in a topic of discussion everywhere, it seems. That's the one everyone brings up. And it's funny to me, but I, I don't know how you get to level two without ha- ever having done it. M- my belief on this is that they seeded that in um, as kind of a prelude... Well, it's already been happening, but the replacement of DCI reporter with Wizards event reporter. 
because DCI Reporter has a very thorough, you know, penalty screen where you enter all the information. And Wizards Event Reporter, I don't, I don't even know because I've I haven't used it yet. But yeah. does it does it have a penalty entry yet? I know it does. Tasha's nodding to me. Yes. Yeah. I guess in case anyone's curious, the way you do fill out a penalty is you just write um, your name first and last, and then you write the player's name and last name first, and then the first name of the player. And then you write the infraction, and then the penalty, and then the comment, and you just separate all those in dashes. Your comment's just like, uh, you know, if it's a, a game rule violation, you'll write it'll write GPE for gameplay error dash, GRV for the um, game rule violation for the infraction, and then for the penalty you would put warning or whatever, and then comment, you'd say cast uh, Day of Judgment with Blue Man or something. Just whatever the it was. So it's very simple. I, it's very it's a very odd line here, but I think Ricky might be totally correct that this may be for the shift to uh, Wizards Event Reporter. Right, and, and the kinds of events that people run on Wizards Event Reporter, even if you're a level 2 and you work with other judges like at a Grand Prix trial, like say you're a level 2 head judging a GPT and you have one or two judges under you, maybe like it's it's not really going to be necessary that you know how to fill out a penalty on a result slip that the judge can just come up to you and say, hey, I gave this guy a warning for this. Well, it's my new policy that I'm no, no longer going to fill out penalties. I'll just let level threes do it for me. <laughs> You're, you're just going to be at a grand for you like, I'm not yeah. required to know how to do that, so no. I don't know. I'll um, just call someone over. But let me just clarify here. Those are not requirements for a candidate to be considered for L2. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, in, uh, you're doing Sean, it. Sean figured it out. Uh, so does that mean that I don't have to know how to do this? <laughs> I guess go find a local level 2. But you already know, Jose. Are well, you going to unlearn what you have learned? Well, I did my best to bring up level three so that Sean could take that and have his segue back. But oh, no, I missed my segue. <laughs> okay. Instead, he decided he to correct me. Show. Sean just doesn't know it yet. <laughs> All right. Well, so, CJ, yeah, you mentioned level three. So level three also has a lot of new changes to it. Um, and it's not so much that the process is changing. I mean, it is in quite a long, lot of ways. But I think the more significant change is that we're being told more about what goes into the process. Right. So tell us more about these changes, Ricky. I mean, you were part of the process. Yes, I was involved in the checklist, which is kind of, I, I guess it's a prerequisite for testing for level three. It's a list right. of things that we want a level two judge to have performed or, or done during his or her tenure. And I know we can, we'll go through actually the different components of that checklist, but what was your sort of overriding philosophy or what, what guided you as you were going through the construction of the list here? The important thing about this was, A, that this is not the requirements to be a level three as you said, there's a whole list of things we're looking for in a level three, but we wanted there to be a universal benchmark for judges, L2 judges all over the world to kind of look at and say, am I, you know, close to ready to test for level three? Because you still have to get through a very difficult rules exam. 
and you still have to get through an interview with two high-level judges where they will try to, you know, poke and prod at some of these things. But we wanted there to be a checklist where someone could look at it and say, I've done these things, you know, I have this kind of requisite experience. It's going to help you focus your energies. Absolutely. And one other thing that it did is it gave me a ton of material, um, really seeing each piece and saying, well, why haven't I gotten this done? Or why do I do so much of this? Um, what it's really helping me do is fulfill one of the requirements, and that is writing a self-review, because I haven't done that yet. Let's okay. talk about these. So rules and policy knowledge is the first one. Um, and to qualify on that, you just basically need to have scored 80% on a level three practice exam in the last six months. Right, because in the past, I think a lot of people made it to an L3 interview without solidifying their rules knowledge, without, you know, showing that they had this knowledge by taking the L3 practice exam. You know, they would get to a pro tour, which is previously the only place you could test for L3, and flop on the rules exam, and it and it just felt like such a, a waste of time and resources to not have known that about a candidate, that their rules knowledge wasn't close to close to passing. So let's move on to the next thing on the checklist here, and that's leadership. And there's sort of two entries for leadership. Um, one is that they must have acted as the head judge for at least 20 events. Oh, and, and five of them have to be in the last 12 months. I think a lot of L2s that are looking to go to L3, that'll be a pretty easy requirement to meet. Can you tell me more about why that one was in here? I don't really know. Okay. Because they definitely put put like hard numbers on it though. Well, that was the thing. We wanted there to be actual numbers because in the past, you know, there would, it would be kind of nebulous if you, if an L3 was going to deny someone a recommendation. Like if I were going to deny an L2 for recommendation, I might say something about, well, I'm not sure if you're up to snuff as a leader. It's like, well, what does that mean? Right. So or that you have enough experience. In yeah, yeah. I, I don't believe your experience there. Well, putting numbers to it, I mean, it's still, it, even with numbers, you know, it's not always the case that they will have the requisite, requisite quote unquote, experience because maybe these 20 tournaments have been really easy or whatever. But just, I think just being at X number of events, you're going to, you're going to get, you're going to get something out of it. Okay. Now, but, the other leadership requirement is... Well, I was saying that the reason I don't really know much about the 20 hedges of 20 events requirement is because I didn't actually fulfill them when I tested for L3. At that time, there was no store in my hometown of Davis that was running sanctioned events. So I wasn't even you know, involved in any Friday Night Magics. So then the other leadership requirement is must have acted as head judge or team lead for at least five competitive or professional rules enforcement level events, managing at least two other judges, including at least two events like that in the last year. Right. Managing at least two other judges at a competitive REL event to me reads as PTQ. Right, although I think someone who's a team lead for, say, a Star City Open um, or someone who – there's not just PTQs, but there's also regionals. There's states. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. other large events of that scale. 
but, um, but that type of event, whereas a, a competitive REL event where you don't manage other judges, I mean, like that a grand could be a trial. Exactly, where you might be the only judge. Right. So, so let's take you, Sean. You've got this one, right? You've, you've done um, PTQs. You've done you know, I national done qualifier. PT- well, I haven't done PTQs in the last season here, but I have head judge, I think, one or two PTQs in the last year. I was head judge of states. I was head judge of NorCal regionals. We've definitely, I've definitely got this bit covered. I was a team lead at Star City's Open in San Jose. Um, I was a team lead at Grand Prix Denver. So I, I think I've definitely got this piece covered. Mm-hmm. And certainly with all of the stores you've worked with, you've got the 20 head judge of 20 other events. Uh, yeah, that's that's definitely a given. Um, I mean, we've got F&M for, for years, um, and then five in the last 12 months definitely as well. But CJ was saying that he hasn't... He hasn't had judged 20 events. No. Okay. Do, do you have a store locally, CJ? Uh, yes, but I can't really get out there on the Friday nights. So um, I've been trying to put a judge in that store, but for me personally to go out there, most of the time won't work out. Hmm. All right. Well, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it with CJ's L3 uh, candidacy. Yeah. Okay. Still, still like a year away, but it's interesting, though, right? Like we had a discussion with Kevin about how it's possible to remotely certify judges because sometimes these judges are just not anywhere near a store they can get to. Um, but these requirements kind of dictate that you need a store nearby. Like CJ is obviously very active in his community, but he has trouble head judging events. Uh, you know, uh, at his local store. So, well, I think that's an interesting sort of, uh, you know, conundrum. Well, the distinction here is really that you're talking about requirements for level one where you can be remotely certified. But being remotely certified, I mean, sure, it might mean that a store isn't there, but more likely it is that there's no L2 nearby. Yeah, I don't, I don't feel like slighted by these rules or, or feel like it's some insurmountable task. I, I think I could get there if, um, you know, it's just it's just going to take time. I, I don't have the same amount of experience that a lot of a lot of judges have. I, I try to supplement that with um, spending way too much time in IRC and everything, but <laughs> I'll uh, I'll get there eventually. Uh, I don't think it's impossible by any means. Yeah. I okay. Mean, I, CJ being a, a fairly new level two, certainly we we wouldn't expect him to have all of these checked off. Yeah. Exactly. All right, so Jose actually mentioned remote certification, and the next one on the list is mentorship. Must have certified or participated extensively in the training and certification of at least two judges in the last 12 months. This is an interesting definition for the requirement for mentorship because there are certainly judges who have certified other judges at large events where they're sort of the person in charge of making sure that the tests get printed, that the candidates have people around them who can be good mentors for the day and assess their skills and assess their readiness. Really, all the things that have gone into that judge being ready is really the work of that judge probably with a more local mentor than the person at that large event. Right. This is another one where I was not... Well, when I tested for level three, I had only 
certified one judge, Bryce Calf, but that was mostly because I tested for level three just uh, maybe like five months after they expanded the ability to certify people to all level twos. If you recall, there used to be a special position called level two trainer, and those people and level threes were the only people who could certify judges. And then in, in during while I was level two, they expanded to all level twos. I remember that quite well because that was part of the reason why I never became a judge in the first place. Like, um, you know, when I started down the road, I was in Miami many, many years ago. And, uh, you know, the only one who can certify me was a level three somewhere in Florida who goes to Orlando for pre-releases. And that was pretty much it. So that's that was how I could become a level one judge. Yeah, but I think expanding it to participated extensively in the training and certification of, I probably would have been able to get credit for Sean and Eric Levine. As far as this one goes, if I count back the number of certifications, see, I've been level two, I think it's about 18 months now. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, so about a year and a half. Um and in that time, I have certified, I want to say, well, Jose. Who was the first one? Oh. <laughs> Jose was sorry, my very I, first one. I just one. had a cough. I'm sorry. Jose was my very first one on my very first day as a level two judge. Um, but then also, let's see, I think since then I've probably certified another 10. Jeez. I think it's wow. I, I, somewhere around there. Sean's always been uh, really into the mentorship thing. It's something that I've always noticed in him, uh, something that I've always appreciated. He goes to, you know, stores and tries to help him out and set him up and, you know, always avails himself of people who have questions about becoming a judge or, you know, how to do it or just anything. Obviously, him, you know, doing this podcast is another way. You know, this is mentoring people without actually seeing their faces. You know, so it's a big thing for him. Well, uh, yeah, but mentoring is really a conversation. It's a two-way street where you learn what people want to know and then discuss it with them and sort of help them learn. Um, this is definitely a couple steps removed of that, but I, I'd consider this some strange form of mentorship, sure. I should also mention that of those 10, I think I can credit probably four of them at least to other judges in the same way that um, – that Toby can credit my certification to you, Ricky. Um, in that, I think I've certified a couple people at the Star City event in Denver. Also certified Josh Stansfield down in LA. Mm-hmm. Um, he was definitely ready well before I set eyes on him. Um, there are definitely. I think he was like people. Athena. Right. He, he just, just he just sprung, sprung from, from yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's he's definitely. I mean, he's level two now, and that's been a very quick thing for him and he's already it's not just that he's level two and just because he's great and knows everything but he's level two because he's mentoring other judges and bringing more people into the program too so cj has you certified one judge level one judge so far so far i have a another one who's looking pretty promising he'll be coming out for his first ptq this weekend and again you're involved enough in the atlanta community that two judges in 12 months is not really an issue. And that's the thing. We we didn't want any of these prerequisites 
to be insurmountable. Like that's not the point. The point is we want judges to have a broad range of experience. And certainly certifying judges is one thing we want an L3 to be knowledgeable in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if I only certify two judges this year, I, I don't know. That that would seem like way too few for me. I really want to get a lot more out there. And, you know, also this whole time we're talking about becoming level three, which uh, Jared in, in, in an interview once on um, Men of Magic, he said, you know, if you were the best judge in the world, you would reach level three. And, you know, you could possibly stop there. You know, level four and five are uh, a, l- a little bit more unique in how you can't you can't even test for them or anything like that. So, you know, I think level three should be it shouldn't be a, a cakewalk to get into. You should have to work at it a little bit. Let's move along here right. to communication skills. No good English. That's one of them, and that's actually important because level three judges are expected to perform at international events. They're supposed to work those larger events um, and contribute to the community. Um, international mailing lists, that sort of thing. So you need to have some common language. That common language is English. Yeah, this, this was a point of some contention when we were discussing the prerequisites um, because it, we wanted there to be some kind of basic English competency requirement. And the question was how, you know, what do you put on there? Because we didn't want it to be exclusive like like the other prerequisites so I, I think ability to participate on international mailing lists and projects is just about what we would want an l3 to be able to do i mean it, it certainly isn't going to be a requirement that an l3 be able to head judge a tournament in english mm-hmm. because if you're an l3 in let's say brazil you may never have that the opportunity to try that so what's the point? Okay, so that's English. There's another re- requirement under communication skills, though, um, and that's demonstrate participation in the judge community on a regional or global level. So mailing lists, seminars, articles, projects, etc. Um, hopefully, JudgeCast counts as etc. <laughs> yeah, I think it does. And then, Sweet, then I'm halfway there. <laughs> Whoa, living on a prayer. All right, I just want to point out that I was not the one that started singing a random song. <laughs> I think that is a judge cast first. Jose, take my hand. We'll make it, I swear. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, I got a soft spot for that song, I admit it. Yeah. And for CJ. Um, so... Let's see. Let's go on. Well, so mailing lists and seminars, I think, CJ, your involvement on IRC, you characterized it as too much time. Maybe it's just enough. Who knows? It's a lot. It's all day when I'm at work. But you Yeah, know, and I, it's, a, it's a global level. I mean, tell us the, the judges you know from other countries via IRC, CJ. Uh, David, David De La Iglesia. He's around Spain. a lot. Um, quite a few... Canada judges like uh, Charlotte Sable. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. Uh, Johanna Johanna Vertinen. Johanna Johanna. Johanna. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how to pronounce her name. Um, I made that mistake, so I know it now. Well, you only make out. it once. Jeez, there's so many. Uh, Ricardo Tessitore's in there a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, From you know Italy. That, I know this is kind of off the topic, but the fact that you get to interact with level five judges is great too. Because uh, Toby Elliott's always on there, and uh, oh, Sheldon. So that's 
That's how you communicate with the global level community. There are all manner of other ways that people get involved to fulfill this requirement. Um, you mentioned you have the conference coming up in Atlanta. Seminars are a great example of getting this kind of involvement. Articles that you write, not just for the Judge Center or other types of articles like that, but articles you write like for other websites mm. on helping them. Like, for instance... I did uh, that. Yeah, you did that for a ton of time. Um, you haven't done it in a while, but you do. Some, from time to time, still write on that's, your own blog, too. That's because talking is easier than writing. Especially when somebody else has to edit it. Well, we could always go with the CJ suggestion of no editing. <laughs> that would be terrible. <laughs> that would be ridiculously long and terrible. That would be like the director's cut version of Apocalypse Now. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Who's who's bantering about movies now? Oh, we this win. Is the Twilight Zone episode of JudgeCast. <laughs> He's definitely going to edit that part out, Jose. <laughs> Oh, I know. As soon as he mentioned a movie, it's a lost <laughs> So we've talked about participation in the judge community. Um, we also have another requirement here on the candidacy checklist um, for level three, and that is self-evaluation. Must have written a self-review in the last six months. Now, this is something I have not done, but all of the different things that going through this checklist has made me think about has given me a ton of content for one that I'm in the midst of writing. Yeah, th this one is pretty easy in that all you have to do is go to, go to your computer and write it. Self-evaluation. It's evaluation with someone I love. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think this is the kind of thing where obviously fulfilling the requirement is easy, but how you do it may come up in your interview. Because if you write a self-review and in the you know areas that need improvement, you put nothing. Or you're, you're just like, I'm perfect, I'm ready for L3. They're going to have some questions for you on the interview panel. One other part of the checklist is assessment of other judges. Um, and this is definitely one area where I think I can improve, though I, I technically meet the requirement. Um, and that's must have written at least 10 reviews in the last 12 months. And that does count certification reviews, but it doesn't count self-reviews. Um, and also there are some other caveats to it. It must include reviews of judges from both inside and outside your region. Um, it also needs to have judges who are of higher, equal, and lower level. Um, and then also um, you can't just have um, sort of boilerplate language in your reviews. It can't just be... You know, these are all your strengths, and you're great. No areas for improvement, or vice versa. Um, you really need to write full, interesting, useful reviews. If you want to learn how to do that, you can attend the uh, Atlanta Judge Conference and sit in on Ricky's seminar. Wow. This guy's so pro. He is. He is. It's like he knows what he's doing, which is you know, completely <laughs> None different. None of us do. <laughs> right. Listen. I yeah, I feel it's a little low, but I'm willing to live with this requirement. <laughs> well, of course you're willing to live with it. I mean, you've got this tenfold easily. They're actually hard for me personally to write, um, especially when I feel like I've given people feedback in other ways, um, where the conversations that we have on the tournament floor, um, 
chats that we have afterward, either via email or, or Gchat or something else like that, um, those reviews and the talking about the event, talking about things that came up at the event, um, they're conversations. And those conversations are really hard to condense into the sort of one-way communication that a review is. That said, they're also really valuable for the program. I completely understand why this requirement is in here. Hey, maybe you also agree with Ricky and think that uh, talking is easier than uh, writing. Oh, it definitely Cause, is. Because you, you gave me a, a very, uh, uh, let me add a very helpful uh, review on air. I think, you know, maybe when it comes to sitting down and writing it, it there's some disconnect there, but you're doing it. <laughs> right. I think what you're alluding to there is that the review that I gave you on air, I don't think it made it into the judge uh, center. I think that's true. So, yeah, that's definitely but that, one But that's something where it's great that we gave him that feedback. But mm-hmm. for posterity's sake, putting it in the judge center is very important. When um, David de la Iglesia... Uh, I just like saying his name. I, I just enjoy it. David De La Iglesia, he reviewed me after GP Atlanta. Uh, you know, he told me everything he was going to put in the review before actually writing the review. He, and then he just, he straight up told me, he said, the review is basically just going to be a summary of everything I just told you in person. And I think that's kind of the way to do it. I mean, let's say Jose ends up at Grand Prix Montreal this year for whatever reason. He gets teleported to the Grand Prix. And he's there as a judge, and it's like, hey, let's test Jose for level two. And an L4, a regional coordinator on site, looks at the review history. It it would be very useful to have a review from Sean outlining all the things, saying these are the things he's good at, these, these are the things he needs to work on. And then the people on site could say, okay, Jose, have you worked on these things that Sean told you to work on? So, and that's, that's awesome. I mean, I, I guess I sort of know the answer to this question already, but I'll ask it anyway. And that is, why is there a requirement to have a review of a judge who's of a higher level than you? Because this is a democracy. <laughs> that's, that's a good question. There, there's a lot of ways to approach that, I think. And one of them is, uh, we talked about this, I think, privately, but you said you were going to enter a review of... James McKay. And the, he this was, he was a level three at the time, maybe, or four by then. I can't uh, remember was, the timing. It was, I think, two days before he made level four. Right. But he was a higher level judge than you. He was your team lead at Worlds. Mm-hmm. And when we discussed it privately, you had a lot of great points about his performance that day. And I think... The ability to do that, to assess someone who is above you, you know, in the tournament, is important. It's something we want to see. What what a review does is it forces you to objectively look at the job that somebody else is doing. It's kind of like learning by example to me. Why would you review a higher level judge is to see how many things they are doing right at the job that you are going yeah, for. Exactly. So I can I you know, if I if I gave Sean a review for, for something, um I can which I haven't done yet, but I need to. Um <laughs> you know, I can I, I can find no end of good things to say and I'm sure I can, you know, scrutinize and find some bad things to say, but at the end of the day I'm paying attention to somebody whom I respect who has earned it 
you know, uh, from me and from others, how uh, to do the job that I'm going for. Right, exactly. The the things, like the strengths would be the things you would want to emulate in them when you reach that position or role or whatever. Exactly. So that's assessment of other judges. Um, and then also the last part of the checklist here is recommendations. And that is that um, you need recommendation from at least two of the following categories. Uh, that is your regional coordinator, an L3 inside your region, or L3 outside of your region. So you need written recommendations from those categories. Um, and you also need a written recommendation from an L4 judge indicating success in a team lead position at a Grand Prix where that L4 plus was the head judge. Now, mm-hmm. that seems to me as sort of a strange requirement because I'm not sure that there are many slots like that. But there's going to be more next year. Sure. But, so, but will all those Grand Prix be head judged by an L4? That's another good question. <laughs> we only have the two in the United States. Well, it's L4+, we'll, plus, so the L5s yeah. may get into the mix. At the same time, you also need to have a level two in a team lead position, so that's talking about day two, probably, of a Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. Um, so that just sort of narrows the field pretty significantly to where those opportunities exist. Um, although they've also indicated that um, at each Grand Prix where they do these tests, um, it's likely that it won't really have more time than is needed for just one person to test for L3 anyway. Um, so that's, again, the thing that narrows necessarily how many people can level up in a given year, we'll say. This is definitely a shift um, than necessarily having you know the class of Pro Tour San Diego or the class of Pro Tour Puerto Rico. Just this is the judge that leveled up at Grand Prix you know, Grand Prix Sacramento or something. Yeah, but how great is that? Like, that whole event will be defined by you in some sense. Yeah, that that could be a chance for you to, uh, for that whole event to be defined by you. Or you could just fail miserably. <clears throat> Debbie, thereby Debbie taking away the chances for other people who can test. Way to be the optimist. Optimist Prime. <laughs> <laughs> well, part of this process, though, Jose, is it's designed to sort of ensure its own success in some sense. Like, I don't think it's going to lead to a dramatic change in the number of L3s we advance every year, but it will just better prepare the people and better educate the people who are going for L3. Yeah, and these, the recommendations part is really the last nebulous portion because you know the L3s regional coordinators L4s what are they going to be looking for and to recommend someone okay so that was the yeah, level so 3 candidacy candidacy prerequisite checklist there we go mail time so uh we had a question uh this question came in from a listener named Brendan Brendan's asked us a few questions in the past, um, but he hasn't told us where he's from, at least in this one. So, let's see. CJ, where's Brendan from? Sacramento. (laughs) (laughs) 
out of all the places you could have picked. <laughs> I was put on the spot. I was looking one at the question. We've already talked about. Wow. <laughs> I was looking at the question and then he talked to me and I just threw out something. Okay. Well, okay. So, so yeah, Brendan's from Sacramento. If Sacramento is located in Djibouti. There we go. Okay. Um, don't expect a Djibouti accent. Um, in fact, I promised another person it's who wrote Djiboutin. in today. Oh, Djiboutin. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, don't expect any accents in this show because I promised someone else earlier that I would not read anything of theirs in an embarrassing accent, and I'm just going to apply that to everything. So, um, Brendan writes, My Johnny friend, that's Johnny as in someone who likes combos, not Johnny as in a Johnny, uh, my Johnny friend, seems to build decks just to cause games to end due to rules questions. In this particular game, he has Caged Sun, naming green, that has become a forest because of March of the Machines, Xenograft, naming Sapperling, and Life and Limb. Uh, for those of you who don't know, March of the Machines turns artifacts um, into creatures with power and toughness equal to their mana cost. Life and Limb turns all sapperlings into forests in addition to being sapperlings and turns all forests into sapperlings in addition to being forests. Um, what the so heck? Xenograft is basically like conspiracy. Everything gains. This isn't this even a real game. question. It, yeah, he exactly. says it happened in a real game. So what real what? EDH? Sure. This is, I mean, keep this simply in a, in a blue green deck. Um, that's meant to mess with rules. I think a chaos player could definitely enjoy this. You um, know what I'm gonna enjoy? I'm gonna enjoy going to the bathroom while you guys answer this question. All that happens, and then he taps the cage sun for mana. Question is, what happens? Um, basically, the game ends in a draw. So what happens is, cage sun, you know, through this uh, uh, Johnny Tastic uh, trigonometric. Uh, uh, confluence of permanence um, has become a forest, and you tap it for mana, which you can do with forest. Um, Cage Sun has a triggered ability uh, that says whenever a land's ability adds one or more mana of the chosen color to your mana pool, add one additional mana of that color to your mana pool. What ends up happening is that you have a triggered ability that will trigger. It's mandatory. There's no decisions that you can make that will stop this trigger from going on the stack. Um, so as soon as you tap it for mana, you add mana to your mana pool, triggering Cage Sun, which will add a mana to your mana pool, triggering Cage Sun, which will add a mana to your mana pool, and so on. Um, the, uh, now it doesn't necessarily have to end in a, in a draw, right? Like, could you not kill Cage Sun, um, at some point? Well, that's a good question because Cage Sun has a mana ability. And a mana ability doesn't use the stack. Now, there's a specific sort of weird thing going on here with Cage Sun, um, and that is that its ability isn't worded like a normal mana ability. Normally, a mana ability either is an activated ability that adds mana to the mana pool, or it's a triggered ability that triggers from the activation of another mana ability. Now, Cage Sun doesn't really fit either of those definitions, because it triggers not on the activation, but on the resolution 
of the ability. Oh, man, you're still talking about that question. <laughs> so the problem here is that um, Matt Tabak has decreed, as the rules manager, he's decreed Cage Sun has a mana ability. It's worded differently, sure, but it is a mana ability. He says so, ah. so it is. Okay, so that's that's important because that kind of changes things. You have unbounded green mana that just adds itself to the mana pool, and then because it's a loop of mandatory actions, you can't interrupt it, the game ends in a draw. And and you cannot interrupt what? it because it's a mana ability, uh, so, you know, there's no there's no responses there. That That's the end result? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I, I was pretty sure the end result was a draw, but I, I didn't quite understand that it was a man ability. Um, I'll go back and, and listen to just this part then, <laughs> and have my mind blown. It's pretty ridiculous. I never heard of this whole thing before. See, yeah. now this is this is the thing. This, let me tell you, as a fellow Johnny player, this is one of those things that like you kind of you 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 really want to do. You want to find what amounts to an exploit. In the game, in a game with you know however many twelve thousand moving parts, I don't know how many how many uh, cards individual cards we have, but there's got to be some collection of cards that creates something that's like this. That's pretty much you know uh, uh, something that you know just by looking at it should not happen. It should not be like uh, three oblivion rings when there's no other permanents. Sure, but exactly, exactly. There you go. So, you know, Johnny's everywhere. Look for this sort of uh, interaction. And I think this one is uh, pretty original and fresh. Okay. Well, good. We've we've answered Brennan's question. Um, Actually, I should mention also that I did not answer this on my own. I actually went on IRC, um, asked it in MTG rules, and it led to a long discussion that Lee Sharp eventually just ended and said, guys, take this elsewhere. (laughs) Um, even though it is a rules question take it elsewhere because it's just adding to a lot of discussion and interfering with other questions that are being asked so let's go on Um, so thank you to everybody in IRC that helped with that question I think I represented it correctly if I didn't let me know I'm sure you will Um, so other questions we had one come in uh, earlier today actually from Nick Rutkowski who was a judge at Star City Games Open in Seattle. Player A has three mountains in play, two Valakuts, and six forests. He casts Primeval Titan, says, kill your Grave Titan, then plays a mountain from his hand. Okay. Player B calls a judge and says, he didn't search for his two mountains, he just cast Primeval Titan and played a mountain. I think he failed to find. Oh. So... Is that out of order sequencing? Yeah, yeah, no, I don't. Uh, I think so. Uh, did he did he pick up his deck <laughs> to search? Uh, we'll assume that he probably was about to, or or making motions to, or or had his hand on his deck. I think that's yeah. a reasonable assumption in this case. Okay, well then, yeah, I, I think that's out of order sequencing. <sighs> I I don't jump to it as quickly as as they do because there's a whole there's a whole priority pass in there. It's just kind of getting completely skipped over. Uh, what's the priority pass there? The that the trigger. The trigger is going to be resolving, and then so he's resolving it without searching for the things, putting the mountain down, and assuming the mountain has two triggers when it doesn't. 
Yeah, I guess it, I guess it is. It's good enough because it is it is a block of actions that um, you know, like it says, while not technically legal, at the end of the the end result is pretty much the same. But I don't know that that playing a land doesn't sit well with me. Yeah. And by saying kill your grave titan, yeah, exactly. He's making he's making an indication of what the outcome is. Well, the other thing that that makes it out of order sequencing in my mind is that he's making a suboptimal play very clearly. The the optimal play is to play the land first, then right. play the primeval titan. Get right, he, he, missed, get, he missed out on two triggers. Right, he missed out on two triggers by doing that. So my thought is, you know, he's calculating two triggers, and he's calculating them in such a way that I'm playing the mountain after I have two mountains in play from the Primeval Titan. Um, he's not he calculating it the other way around. He's going in that sequence. Right, so by being a rules lawyer here, the opponent may in fact accidentally teach the Valakut player a lesson about how to play better. Mm, I think it's possible. Because yeah. in this interaction with a judge, it's very possible that something might come up where, where they talk about, you know, Primeval Titan getting two lands at once, and oh, it triggers Falakut because, you know, it's the fifth and the sixth land together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you don't want, if, if your opponent doesn't know <laughs> about that, you don't want him to know about that. <laughs> right. Okay, all right. You know what? I'm back on track. I get it. Yeah, I think I think the the uh, intent of the player is pretty clear when he, you know, does a thing and and states the two triggers. Okay, so we have that. We have one other question from a listener, and this comes from someone who actually is from Sacramento. His name is Wes. Um, is it the Wes I know? Um, it's not the Wes from Drums. Oh, okay, it's. Another Wes. Is it a Wes I know? It is a Wes you know. I knew I knew a Wes. Okay. Is it, well, a, this... is it a Wes I know? No, it is not oh. a Wes you know. <laughs> All right. How do you know? You know? Yeah, maybe I do. Okay, you know, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but Wes's question is really straightforward, but I think it's an interesting one, and that involves Spellskite. So, uh, Wes has do. a spell skite. <laughs> right. Wes has a spell skite, and his opponent has um, a Chandra, the new one, the cool one from M12. And his opponent sets off Chandra's ultimate ability, which deals der six damage to six damage yes. up to six target to creatures six and or players, yeah. and chooses spell skite and a planeswalker that. You know, that West controls. What West wants to do is change the damage that's going to that planeswalker through him to the spell skite. Can he do this? No. Nope. It's agreed. Let's move on. But <laughs> <laughs> why? <laughs> uh, Tell us why. Chandra's targets, uh, there's a couple things going on here. The first one is uh, when they choose up to. X amount of targets, in this case six, they've chosen two targets. So one thing that's relevant is we're now locked in at two targets. We can't add or remove targets here. Uh, that's not relevant to this current situation, but I thought I'd say it. Uh, but the next part is each of those targets has to be a unique target. And since Spellskite was already chosen to target it, uh, they can activate Spellskite, but, and they can 
target the ability to try to change the target, but on resolution it'll do nothing because Spellskite is not a legal target of Chandra's ultimate. Yeah, not not for that particular target, yeah. Yep. Yep. Because that's... it's already targeted. Okay, okay. So that's each of the listener questions that we have. That was great, CJ. Thanks for clearing that up for our listener, Wes. I'm Here. sure he'll appreciate that. Here's the spell sky summary is um, it doesn't work how you want it to work. Like, <laughs> I think that covers most situations. Gotcha. Okay, well, we have one other section to go through in our agenda tonight, and that is tournament organizing. And really, all this is is responses from our listeners from um, our last show. Um, so this is just, I think, Ricky, you have a you have a short phrase to describe this. More mail. The first and most eloquent response um, to our last show. Our last show. Let me just actually first give you the quick rundown. Um, the quick rundown is. Listen to it on MTG Cast. Well, sure. Um, so you're organizing a pre-release. You have product for only so many players. A player comes in, and you have only one slot left. Customer comes in and says. I want to be in your event, but I can't play. I can only take the packs, um, and I want to leave. You tell them, okay, um, well, I have enough product. You'll have to crack the packs before you leave because I can't just give you sealed packs to go buy it and sell on eBay or whatever. Player says, okay, that's fine. Immediately after that, you have another player that comes in and says, can I register in the tournament? I'm here to play. The moral quandary is, is there an issue with telling that player, is there a moral quandary for a tournament organizer in denying product to the customer who wasn't going to play in the tournament, just wanted to get the packs? We have a response here from Pete Yan, who is um, a well-known writer uh, and judge, level two judge from Wisconsin. Um, and I just wanted to, I guess, read it quickly here because he said it so well. So you talked about this player and whether or not you would deny him entry. I would not. First of all, in the Magic Tournament Rules, Section 1.4, spells out who is and who is not eligible to play in sanctioned events. In short, the list of people who can't play are suspended players, WOTC employees, playtesters, and anybody prohibited by local laws, the rules of the TO, or the venue's management. If you wanted to keep this person out, that's a section you'd have to use. While debatably technically possible, I see this as a slippery slope that we don't want to go down. First of all, having specific venue rules banning certain players is often bad business. Rules like no pros, no outsiders, no insert some epithet here, are not in a store's long-term interest. And we judges do not want to be tarred with that same brush. Secondly, the MTR talks about the rules of the TO. Is this really a rule? If so, does it say anyone not intending to play in all rounds of the event cannot enter? Does this get enforced at all events? If the TOs have side drafts at big events for the players that drop, then it may be hard to call this a rule. Note also that the MTR specifies rules, not just anyone the TO says can't play. Now, implementing a rule like this, even just for pre-releases, 
would also give precedent to other rules uninformed TOs might want, like a player who would ID can't play, or casual, no players with pro points, or not people who always beat my locals because then they won't have fun, and so forth. I think judges are better served by opposing all of these. The other problem with a no early droppers rule happens when a player does need to leave because of a sudden illness, family issues, being called to work, or whatever. Are they sanctioned? If not, in here means sanctioned in the, in, the, in the sense that are they penalized? If not, or if players are allowed to drop and leave when they want, then the only reason the player in the discussion you would be prevented from playing is because he checked in with the judge. We really do not want to foster the idea that if you ask the judge, you get booted. But if you don't, it's fine. So the one point that was raised that could be relevant is that if you have limited product or slots. However, the only way to handle that is first come, first served. Anything else seems like the store is playing favorites and makes people unhappy. Stores can and probably should offer pre-registration. An in-store list can give a local an advantage in getting a slot. But on the day of the tournament, you pretty much have to implement first come, first served. If a favorite customer calls and says she's on her way and the event is not full, treat that as registering. Yes, it sucks when you run out of product, but any attempt to take the last six, six slots and try to give them to the most worthy customers on whatever basis is going to go badly. In a very special case, such as the 33rd player being an 11-year-old birthday child who is also dying of cancer, then I might ask a known player to give up his or her seat and promise to make it up to that player. But that's about as far as I'd be willing to go. Note that when product is a limiting factor of pre-releases, also we give out our judge comp product, and I just tell the player up front that we have run out of pre-release foils. Nice podcast, by the way, Pete. That was so, fantastic. I mean, that, yeah. that was a yeah, that was a great write-up. Uh, brought up a you know a bunch of points that, that we brought up and just said them a lot better than we did. <laughs> <laughs> I always liked his writing, too. He wrote on uh, Star City for a while, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Pete, well. Pete Yan has always had a great pulse on what is fair. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what it comes down to here is we all had our hearts tugged by the issue, you know, of the guy who shows up late and just wants to play. But, you know, it comes down to what is fair. And that's what we have to focus on as judges in situations like this. Yeah, and that does not, now mind you, that does not preclude doing something for that guy. I can't say anything that Pete didn't just say. <laughs> okay. Like, what could I possibly say? Um, when I was listening to you guys uh, from the judge cast, I've always been on, I guess, Team Jose and Ricky here. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think the guy was there first, so. Not much more else to it. So we had one other response. Um, this comes from Kendall, uh, and Kendall doesn't say where Kendall is from. Antarctica. You know, we have a lot of listeners down there. That's really strange. <laughs> we can claim to have the most listeners for yeah, think- a magic podcast in Antarctica, I think. I think the Emperor Penguins have really finally learned to type or something, because... <laughs> It's definitely become a trend. Um, so, Kendall says, 
Quack, 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 quack. No, I'm kidding. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just started playing Magic with Nufrexium and went to my first pre-release with M12. First, there were no issues with turning people away. One guy even walked in, registered, busted packs, and started building his deck 55 minutes after the packs had been initially distributed because they were given an hour for deck construction. That seems kind of like a long time, doesn't it? Um, so, yeah. regarding people opening their packs and leaving, I think my store dealt with it very well. The organizer said up front that he'd be giving out promos after the second round so that they did not have three or four people sit down to play a game and ha- not have an opponent. Person shows up saying they plan to drop after the first round and gets turned away. The next time, they just won't say anything and do it anyway. Enjoy your podcast. Keep up the good work. Those are our listener responses. So, gentlemen, thank you very much for spending these long hours answering questions, talking about all things Judge. Really appreciate the time, especially CJ. Thanks for being our guest. Hey, thanks. Thank you guys for having me. Um, JudgeCast has been around. I've always just been a big fan. It's been around for basically as long as I've had a judge. I think I've been a judge. I think you guys had. Thanks episode. for making me feel old. Oh, it's been forever. Yeah, you were level <laughs> two and Sean was level one. I remember. Um, I remember when episode one came out. I, I was either just about to certify or just certified. I mean, I, I've really always enjoyed JudgeCast, so I really appreciate being on. And we enjoy having you. You definitely have contributed a ton to your community, and uh, we definitely are looking forward to all that you have to offer, especially at the upcoming Atlanta conference. I'm sure that will be an awesome time. September 9th, and it's going to be so devastating. <laughs> so devastating. <laughs> oh, if you don't know what that's a reference to, go and look at the JudgeCast photo album on Facebook. All right. So from all of us here at JudgeCast... Thanks again to our guest, CJ. Thanks again to our quasi-guest and lord from the shadows, Ricky. Sean Cadenese, I keep it fair. And Jose Bovada, I keep it fun. And Ricky Hayashi, I keep writing reviews. And CJ Schrader. All right, listen. I'd be lying if I hadn't been thinking about it all day, but I've got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again for listening. CJ is awesome. Tell us how. Had a banana in my hands, but uh, never ate it. We must, uh, you know, chase Ricky around, and Ricky's in a bikini. What? Are you asking me if I'm wearing pants? Your explanation is not going in the show. So please go with the banana comment. <laughs>